1 Corinthians chapter 16 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Start in verse number 5. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with, be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such, and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, for what was lacking on your part they supplied. For they refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The salutation with my own hand, Paul's. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus, amen. Father God, we thank you for the word, and I pray now that as we turn to it, that, our, uh, that Lord, our, our, our distractions would be few, our concentration would be strong, and that, Lord, you would just be our teacher today. Fill me with your spirit, and help me, Lord, to say only those things you want said, and uh, uh, to fearlessly say the things you want said. I pray today, Father, you would just speak. Uh, Father, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and I pray the Holy Spirit today would uh, descend on this group and be our teacher. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If you'll notice in your bulletin, this is the the sermon with no title this morning, but actually the title is Final Thoughts. Final Thoughts. I torture Sue every once in a while and don't tell her what the title is, so actually I didn't know the title until just a while ago, but Final Thoughts that we're going to share this morning. And we come today to the very wrapping up part of the Apostle Paul uh, in this letter to the First Corinthians. This first letter to the Corinthians. And because he jumps around a bit in here, I don't know if you, if you thought that as we went through there, just kind of a bunch of different topics that he touches on. Kind of like any of us would do, maybe if we're trying to wrap up our, uh, uh, a long letter to somebody else and all these different thoughts we're trying to get them in. We didn't get them covered in the letter, so we're trying to get them all in at the same time now. Uh, just kind of some jumbled thoughts. Uh, that's kind of where he is here. And so we're going to kind of just go verse by verse, and it might seem like it's separate Maybe disjointed thoughts, but all are the final thoughts that Paul wanted to share with this group. And so let's just look at several of them today. Notice, first of all, in verse number five, he talks about the topic, if the Lord permits. And if the Lord permits, actually in verses five through seven. If you look at verses five through seven, you notice that there was a lot of information in there about Paul's plans, about what he thought he was going to do, his future itinerary, and it's a very interesting study if you would take those thoughts and those plans and the things that he said there and go back to the book of Acts and compare them to what uh, did happen. 
Uh, it's, it's very interesting. But for our purposes this morning, I'm not so much interested in what he was planning. I think it's interesting how he was planning. It's very instructive to us. You know, I used to enjoy playing chess. I used to have a brain a long time ago. It's, it's departed me now. But I, I used to enjoy playing chess. And one of the things that I learned about that game of chess is that you have to learn to think many, many moves in advance if you're ever going to succeed at all at the game of chess. Now I could perhaps think one move ahead, maybe. I'm not sure. But you see, Paul here, Paul was, uh, was the kind of a person who, when he planned, he was planning many moves ahead. Do you see that? He, uh, he constantly was thinking and planning several moves into the future. Do you see he was talking about Macedonia, wintering with you, my journey, Ephesus. All those things are indicative that he had his daytimer booked up already with plans well into the future. But you also can't help noticing that he made those plans somewhat loosely. One commentator put it like this. He said, it's worth noting that his statements were very tentative. He said, it may be suitable. It may be Wherever I go, I trust. And his point was the entire plan was contingent upon the fact of whether or not the Lord permitted. Do you see that phrase? If the Lord permit. I preached on James chapter 4 and verses 13 and 17 just a couple of weeks ago. And you remember what James said about this? He said, you ought to say, if the Lord will, we will live and we will do this or that. And that was exactly the way Paul planned his trip here. He had it all thought out. But it was also subject to whether or not the Lord's will was, whether or not he was in the Lord's will. And I just thought this morning as I looked at that, that's, that's a great reminder to us as a church, is it not? And we have talked about it a little bit lately. But it's a great reminder to us as a church and to each of us as individuals that we need to be seeking the will of God in all of our plans. In all of our thinking ahead. In all of our preparation Toward the future. And it's especially interesting to me that we come to this passage. Here we are in the midst of our phase two praying and planning part. And uh, here we have specifically this reminder that we want to be in God's will. We've been very specifically praying that little prayer, God's will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. And I think Paul would have approved of that. And so as we think about this, let's continue to plan and work and anticipate future things. But let's always remember, if the Lord permits... If the Lord permits. He said something else in verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. He spoke to, there, to us there about opportunities and adversaries. Did you notice that? I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost for a great and effective door is open to me and there are many adversaries. Another thing Paul took into account when he was planning the future, not just uh, you know, the, the future places he would go, but he took into account whether or not God was blessing where he currently was. And part of his future planning was tempered by the fact that, yes, the Lord was blessing, and so he needed to stay right where he was. He was in Ephesus at this time because good things were happening there. He said there was an open door for him to minister in Ephesus. And that's an interesting metaphor. The metaphor of the open door is used all throughout the New Testament. We see it in Acts chapter 14. We see it in 2 Corinthians, Colossians, Revelation. It's a wonderful word picture, is it not? There is an open door before me. And when we think about an open door, what do we usually think we ought to do? We probably ought to step through that open door. That's what we would normally do. And that's the idea that he's giving here. He's saying if God gives us an opportunity to minister in a place, we need to walk through that door. And we need to minister in that place until the Lord shuts the door. But on the other hand, he says, in addition to an open door, there are many adversaries. 
on your own, you can go to Acts chapter 19. Go home today and do a little Bible study on your own if you want. And you can read about Paul's adversaries in Ephesus. They were men. He wasn't just talking here about false teachers. I mean, he had genuine, serious enemies uh, against him, adversaries in Ephesus. But one man in commenting on this said, effective evangelism and opposition go hand in hand. If we're stopped by adversaries, if we're stopped by opposition, we'll accomplish nothing. And Paul said, there's great, op- there's great opportunity, but there's also great opposition. And I'm going to keep on going through that door in spite of that opposition. You know, that verse 9 tells us an interesting thing about Paul. He viewed the presence of opposition as a sign that things were right. He viewed the presence of opposition as a sign that his ministry was viable and he was accomplishing something uh, that the Lord wanted him to do. He viewed the opposition and the presence of those adversaries as, as, as a, a reason for him to press on rather than for him to give up. Many of us are slowed down by adversaries. Many of us are stopped dead in our tracks by adversaries and opposition. Not the Apostle Paul. You see how he's fired up by it. He said, Amen. There's adversaries. Let's go forward. And so this morning, I think as a church and as individual believers, we need to constantly be asking, what are the opportunities that God has put before us? What has he put before me? What open door is there that he wants me to walk through today? And then instead of complaining about the obstacles, let's go through it. Let's go through it and continue to see God work. Uh, Opportunity and adversaries. He talked about something else in verse 10. Something else in verse 10. He talked about treating your leaders right. Treating your leaders right. He spoke about Timothy in verses 10 and 11. He had sent Timothy on ahead, apparently not with this letter. Timothy must not have been the one who was carrying this letter back because he said, if Timothy comes to you, well, if Timothy was the one standing there holding the letter, he wouldn't have had to say that. So he had apparently sent Timothy on ahead uh, separately and somebody else had carried the letter. And uh, he said, if he does come, he said... uh, you better treat him right. Isn't that what, they basically, what he basically said to them? If Timothy comes, you better treat him right. Now, perhaps Paul felt the need to protect Timothy here because Timothy was a naturally timid person. We've seen that from our other places in the Bible. Uh, he, he was just somewhat of a timid, uh, quiet, backward type person, apparently. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he tries to stir him up and fire him up and tells him to try to overcome those natural tendencies. So maybe just because of that natural aspect of his personality, Paul felt a desire and need to protect Timothy, maybe. It's also possible that he was protecting Timothy because Timothy was young. We know that he was a younger man than the Apostle Paul. Uh, At one place, Paul said, don't let anybody despise your youth. And so maybe Paul's concern was he he would not receive the respect from the church there that an older person might, and so maybe he felt that. But then it's also possible that Paul was protecting him because he knew exactly what kind of a church he was sending him to. It's possible that he knew this was a very difficult church in which to work. Perhaps he knew personally how unloving this church could be. And so basically he said to them, keep your hands off Timothy and treat him right. It's an interesting, interesting part. All kinds of lessons there for us as a church, how we treat our leaders how we treat potential leaders. We are in a, we're in a process here of trying to train up leadership. How do we treat those who are less experienced? How do we treat those who are uh, uh, not as experienced in serving? I think from Paul here we learn, 
we need to respect and support and help them in that effort and never despise those who are striving to serve the Lord. He spoke about somebody else. He spoke about Apollos in chapter or in verse number 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren. But he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has convenient time. It's possible, since he uses the terminology here now concerning, that this was another question that they had asked. I'm not sure, but it's, it's probable. And so they had probably asked this final question, now, hey, where's Apollos? And when's Apollos coming? And so maybe he's answering that question here. But it's interesting to me how, uh, how Paul's response paints a picture of a man who did not consider himself to be uh, in competition with Apollos. You remember way back, we've been 27 weeks in this particular study now, you remember way back in one of the first second uh, studies, we talked about the division that was taking place in this church. And there were some folks who said, I am a big fan of Paul. I am a big fan of Apollos. And so they tried to pit them against each other. But when we see here, these men didn't consider themselves to be in competition. He thought of him as a brother. He thought of him as a co-laborer. He thought of him as a partner in ministry. And all we need more of that mindset. And so in his words here about Timothy and his words about Apollos, I think we see some general thoughts about how we need to treat our leaders right. In verses 15 through 19, he goes on, he talks about something else. He talks about how we need to recognize the workers. Recognize the workers. Three groups of people are mentioned in verses 15 through 19. And in each of them, we see the Apostle Paul encouraging the church to recognize them and to support them in, in everything that they were trying to do. Stephanus. The household of Stephanus is mentioned there. And no doubt these were very special people to Paul. He called them the first, the first fruits of Achaia. Meaning they were some of the very first ones that got saved there under his ministry. And in another place we see that they were one of the few that he had actually personally baptized. So this would have been special fruit to the Apostle Paul. He would have cared about them uh, very deeply. But that's really not why he's saying here that uh, we, 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 need to, we need to pay attention to them. He was saying here that they were devoted to ministry. Do you see that there? Devoted to ministry. And more accurately we might say they were addicted to ministry. That's actually a better translation of the word. They were addicted to ministry. So here was people, the household of Stephanus, that were just simply, uh, they just wanted to serve. And when they saw something that needed to be done, they jumped in there and did it. And Paul said, when you have people who want to serve, you need to submit yourselves to such. Let them serve. Recognize them for it. Then he mentioned Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus there. Three men who had come to Paul. And in simply coming to Paul, they had encouraged him, refreshed him, Paul said. It's very possible, matter of fact, likely, that these three men might have been the ones who carried the letter that Paul was responding to. It's possible. We know from earlier on in the book that there was uh, the household of Chloe was also somehow influential in that. Uh, there was some input from there. But these guys may have been the ones who carried the letter. If they carried the letter, they carried something that would have been very discouraging to the Apostle Paul as he has had to answer all of these difficulties in the church. Uh, but even if they didn't carry the letter, they certainly would have been talking about those things with the Apostle Paul. And you'd think that it would have discouraged him, wouldn't you? But he says here that their very presence was a source of encouragement and refreshment. And I think the lesson for us from these three is that, you know, we never, we, we must never forget the value of just encouraging one another by our presence. There's no indication here they did anything except be there. They just happened to be there. And by their being there, 
they brought great refreshment to his soul. You know, we've been talking in our FBC 101 class, I just talked about this past week, about uh, the importance of the church, the importance of gathering. And of course, we always go to the same verse, don't we? Hebrews chapter 10. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. together. Uh, I forgot the verse. What's the verse, Phil? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but uh, exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Doesn't that verse tell us this very thing? Exhorting one another is to encourage one another. And so, uh, by being together, we exhort. By being together, we encourage one another. Never, never think that it is a minor thing, that you're just here. That your brothers and sisters are just here. That we gather together. That has very real meaning. It brings refreshment. It brings encouragement to others. And I think we learn that from these. One person said, we're not sure just what these three men did other than simply bring joy to Paul. And to that I say, amen. And there are some folks who just bring joy just simply by being there. And then there's another group that he mentioned here, and that's Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla, what special people these two were. I'll let you study them out on your own. You, 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 you can find all kinds of wonderful truths about them as you study the Bible. They were wonderful in their hospitality. They were wonderful in their service. They were wonderful in their discipling. They had worked alongside of the Apostle Paul because Aquila was a tent maker just like Paul was. They had discipled Apollos. Much of Apollos' great effectiveness in ministry was due to their wonderful efforts. They had accompanied and served the Apostle Paul on his, on his trips. Uh, at one point, the, uh, Paul saying that they had hazarded their lives for him. So they were a wonderful and influential and important couple. Only eternity will tell what Aquila and Priscilla accomplished. So Paul is here saying, in all of these short mentions of people by name, he's reminding the Corinthians, they had some wonderful folks working amongst them. And they needed to recognize them. And they needed to never forget them. And they needed to always hold such high. You know, I think we need to be reminded of that. We have some wonderful folks working here. Some wonderful folks who labor behind the scenes. Some folks labor visibly, some folks labor in ways that most of you would never know. And yet everything that happens here is... Is, is because of that. Is because of people who serve. Paul says here in verse 15, we ought to know such. Verse 16, we ought to submit to such. Verse 18, we ought to acknowledge such. Verse 19, we ought to greet such. And so recognize the workers. Verse 21, he says something else. Verse 21. No longer dictating now. He's been dictating this letter. That was Paul's usual method. But now he's no longer dictating. And in verse number 21, we see him picking up a pen and finishing the letter himself. It was an evidence of his authenticity when he would say, this is the salutation with my own hand, sign his own name. We do the same thing today. And in his own hand, he wrote some of the strongest words that you will find in the New Testament in verse number 22. Look at that verse. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Anathema, if you're holding a King James Bible. Oh, Lord, come. In the King James, it's anathema, maranatha. Oh, Lord, come. Well, he made it pretty clear here how he felt about those who did not love the Lord Jesus Christ. Did he not? It, 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 it wasn't the only time. He had said things like this before. In Galatians chapter 1, he said, if, Even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. 
As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Once wasn't enough. He had to repeat himself. Let him be accursed. You know, this church was divided in so many ways. The Corinthian church was. And in this imprecatory statement here from the Apostle Paul, I think we see that he was convinced that part of that problem was because some of them just weren't even believers. Some of them weren't even saved. And I think what he was saying here, I think he was bluntly pointing out as he's closing this letter, it's time to pick a side. It's time to pick a side. The Lord is coming. Pick a side. You're either on the Lord's side or you're not. And then there's one other thing he says here. Look at verse number 24. Verse number 24. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus. He closes out the letter by saying, know this, I love you all. I love you all. Now, he said some hard things. I mean, that last thing was the hardest of all, but he said some hard things all throughout this letter. But he closes out by saying, I want you to know, whether you love me or not, whether you return my love or not, my love is with you all. Apparently, they were not particularly loving to him. In Second Corinthians chapter 12, we read that, he said this, I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. And so perhaps they didn't return his love as one would hope, but nonetheless, he loved them. Many of them had shown themselves critical of Paul, and therefore, uh, much of what was in their behavior was unattractive, and uh, so many things that he had criticized and been upset with, but nonetheless, he said, I love you anyway, in spite of. All those things. And no matter how hard to love some of us might be sometimes, we need to love each other the same, regardless. And so there we have it. Paul's final thoughts on Corinthians. He said, strive to be in the will of God. He said, take every opportunity to serve and see opposition as evidence that you're where God wants you to be and doing what God wants you to do. He said, treat your leaders right. He said, recognize those who serve amongst you. He said, get serious and pick a side. And he said, remember, I love you. So many wonderful truths in his final thoughts. But if you're being, uh, if you're paying attention this morning, you're probably saying, wait a minute now, we're not quite done, are we? Because the observant amongst you might have noticed that there was one particular verse we skipped. A very important verse. And I would suggest maybe the most important, actually two verses, that are in this passage. As a matter of fact, I think these two verses might just be the Apostle Paul's summary of the entire letter in one single place. Do you see it? Look at verse number 13. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let all that you do be done. With love. I think that was his summary of the whole thing as he was finishing it up. You know, this church was tossed every which way. And so Paul reminded them to keep watch, keep your eyes on the goal, focus, pay attention, be watchful. The Lord is coming. Watch. This church was wavering on the brink of false teaching and succumbing to the sweet words of false teachers. And so Paul said, Stand fast in the faith. Hold the line. Never give up. Never give in. Stand fast. There's a movie about the Battle of Gettysburg called, oddly enough, Gettysburg. And there is a scene in that particular movie that, uh, it's a very long scene, it's half a movie, about the Battle of Little Round Top. And if you want to know what it means to hold the line, just go and watch that particular scene. 
Watch as the enemy advances time and time and time again. And they hold the line. Watch as volley after volley after volley is fired. And this is historically accurate as far as I know. So many volleys fired that the air is so full of smoke that they can't see and yet they hold the line. Watch as they get to the place where they have no ammunition left and all they have left is hands and bayonets and they hold the line. That's what Paul's talking about. Stand fast in the faith. No matter what comes, hold the line. This church was in every way childish. They needed to grow up. And so Paul said here, be brave. That's really not what Paul said, because I don't like that translation in the New King James. Be brave. The King James says, acquit you like men, or quit you like men. It means acquit you like men. It really, what it, what it means is act like a man. It means grow up. It means be a grown up. That's what it means. They were acting like children. Do you not wonder sometimes what it will be like when we get to heaven? And we find ourselves standing side by side with people who have been beheaded for the cause of Christ. That's happening all over our world. When we find ourselves in the presence of people who uh, uh, were fed to the lions in the Roman days, or crucified in Roman days, people who have been thrown out of their homes, people who have been tossed into prison like Bonhoeffer, where they languished for years and then eventually gave their life. What will it be like to stand with people who were grown-ups, in their service for Christ. Do you ever think about that? People who gave all for Jesus. I wonder about that. I wonder how I'll measure up. How we'll measure up against them. Those of you who have been here very long know that I have several idiosyncrasies, I guess you'd say. One of them is that I happen to like J.R.R. Tolkien. I like The Lord of the Rings. I think that's one of the greatest things that's ever been written. And I also think there's some great theology in it. It's it's just good stuff. And so forgive me if I share an illustration from the Lord of the Rings. You will recall that there was a climactic battle in the Lord of the Rings. And King Theoden of Rohan was in this battle. Now King Theoden of Rohan was one who was always wondering how he would measure up. He was one who was always wondering if whenever he came to the end of his life he would have done honor to his family and his name. Well, you remember in that climactic battle, he fell. And he lay dying on the battlefield. And his daughter, Eowyn, was leaning over him. And he looked up at her and he said, I go now to my father's. In whose presence? Wait a minute, I, gotta, I thought I had this. Dog got it. I hate it when I do that. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta look for it here. I go to my fathers, in whose mighty company I shall not now feel ashamed. And every time I see that scene, I think about that. You know, we're going to one of these days stand in the presence of the mighty company of the warriors of the faith. Those heroes that are in Hebrews chapter 11. How will we measure up? How will I measure up? You know, I think that's what Paul was saying here. He's saying, be brave. Quit yourselves like men. It's time to act like men. It's time to grow up, church. This church was weak. Failure was a real possibility if they didn't get some of these issues under control. And so Paul said, be strong. 
It reminds me of Jesus' words to the church in Sardis in Revelation chapter 3. He said, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. And finally, Paul said, This church was unloving. If we look back over all the issues that this church was struggling with, think about them all. Division, strife, false teaching, taking one another to court, abuse of the Lord's table, uh, screaming for their rights and not caring about uh, the weaker brethren, all those kinds of things. All of them were indications of a church that was having trouble loving each other. And so Paul said, let all that you do be done with love. Just as Peter had said in 1 Peter chapter 4, above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. We have been 27 weeks now in our study in 1 Corinthians. And everything we've learned, I believe, can be summed up in those two verses. Everything that he's taught. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. May God help us hear the word of the Lord this morning. But more than that, may God help us live it.